So having something in common does not necessarily create unity. <laughs> what then does create unity? Well, turn, if you have your scriptures with you, turn to John chapter 17. If not, I'll be reading from John chapter 17, New American Standard. Jesus there are three realms of this prayer. We've, we've examined two of the realms. The first realm is just with he and his father. And then the second realm is, is, is about his disciples, about his immediate um, uh, disciples. And then this third realm has to do with his disciples going into the world. Now, some people divide it at different places because they feel like Jesus is praying for sanctification and they put for his disciples, and they put that in the second realm. I put it in the third realm, and let me tell you why. Let's start uh, just reading. Let's, let's just start with uh, um, uh, verse 15. And keep in mind that sanctification in most religions means to be set apart. And in most religions, that means to be separated from. But look at what Jesus says in the 15th verse. I do not ask thee to take them out of the world. But to keep them from the evil one, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. As thou didst send me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Now I want you to see something very very important here. The definition in Christianity of sanctification is different than anywhere else. You see, God, as part of his nature, was perfect unto himself, but because of his nature, was not perfect by himself. That is, Jesus Christ was sent to us. Even as you have sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. And in the scripture, we read a lot about geography. In the world, we read a lot about geography. And geography is usually that which divides us. They're from this country. They're from this culture. Geography divides us. But the scripture uses geography to turn into biography. That is, it uses space to connect. Even as you have sent me into the world. Jesus, it says in Philippians... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but took on the form of a servant, and he came to us like that. Therefore, Jesus was sanctified by, <clears throat> not just by his nature, but by his role, by his presence. And therefore, when he says, sanctify them, he doesn't talk in terms of, just gather them up together. He instead says, gather them to gather. There's a huge difference there. Gather them so that they're not enough of themselves. They are better strengthened for others. They are better strengthened for others. Sanctification doesn't mean separation. It means being sent. And that is also the measure of the maturity and the godlikeness of a church. It doesn't matter how many people a church seats. It matters how many people a church sends. 
That is the measure of spiritual maturity. It doesn't matter what you're like together so much as it matters what you're like with them. It is the heart of God. It is the yearning of God for us to be sanctified by being sent. One time I read this man who was a a religious teacher wanted an artist to paint a picture of a dying church so that he could make a point in one of his presentations. Well, he expected that artist to come back with this old, dilapidated, falling apart church because nobody was there and nobody cared anymore. But instead, when the artist came back, the, the, the one who, who employed that artist was shocked to see that he had this picture of this beautiful sanctuary. Stained glass windows, filled with people, high majestic pulpit. They were worshiping. And he thought to himself in an instant, how is this a dying church? And then he saw down in the corner just a little artifact that he hadn't noticed before. It was the missions box. And the slit in the missions box was covered with cobwebs. A dying church is a church that doesn't care about anybody but itself. A dying church is a church that gets together and is only the church when it gets together. That's a dying church. Because that is not the form of our God. That's not the pattern of our God. So Jesus said, sanctify them. And by that he means send them, even as I have been sent. Then it says this in verse 21. goes on from being sent to being unified, to unity. Look at this. That they may all be one. I want you to remember that term. That they may all be one, even as thou art Father in me and I in thee. That they may also be in us, that the world may believe that thou didst send me. Now I want you to see three realms here. And I want you to see that it, just incidentally it has three so that's. There were just a couple of you who, who were here for my first sermon here 15 years ago. But you remember the theme of that first sermon. God always has a so that. Things don't just happen. God always has a so that. Things are happening in your life right now. And you may not know the meaning. But I want to guarantee you God has a so that. And you won't always be able to grasp why or what they are until you see the so that. And this verse has three so that's in it. Hina is the, is the uh, um, uh, Greek word. It says, it says basically unify us, unify them so that, unify us so that they can unify, they can display that nature so that, and the finish, the thing is not done until the world is mentioned. So that the world. You see, the, 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 the payoff here isn't just us being together, it's us being together so that they can be together with us eventually. So that they can be included. And, and Jesus says, that they may all, now here's the key term, be one. You know, if we're together, if we have a partnership, if our togetherness is because we are alike, then that's a very fragile togetherness. Because tomorrow you may change, or I may change. And if we change, our basis for togetherness is gone. 
if we're together because we all agree. That's a very fragile togetherness. Because tomorrow I may change my mind or you may change your mind. And then the basis of our togetherness is gone. If we're all together because we, love, we enjoy one another, we love, we, we feel good together. That's a very, we could fall out of, I've always said, um, I don't love him anymore. I don't, I'm, I've fallen out of love with him. You know, there, that's a very fragile thing because emotions not only can, they will change. Tomorrow, I may not feel like I love you. And you may not feel like you love me. Even if our togetherness depends on a common vision or a common purpose, that's a very fragile togetherness. Because tomorrow, I may be called to another purpose. Or I have another vision. Or you might. And then what happens to our togetherness? No, there is one long-lasting basis for togetherness. And that's not what we think. That's not what we feel. That's not what we do. That's not what we see in the future. That's what we are. That they all might be one. Now, when you were born into this world as a physical little baby, you were born an individual. And you were also born alienated. You had a family. Some of you had good families. Some of you had bad families. Some of you were given up for adoption. And so you had adopted families. But you were born, and you were born with this little individual mentality. And you can look at any little kid growing up, and you can see that kid's basically out for himself or herself. Me, me, me. Gimme, gimme, gimme. I want, I want, I want. That's how people grow up. That's their nature. And that's usually how people live out their life in this world. Now, some of them can grow up to be generous because that's what they've decided to do. But then the basis of their connection is always what they've decided personally. Watch this. For those of you who were born again, you were, you were born with a new nature. The, the Bible says any man being Christ, he's a new creature. Any person being Christ, they're a new creature. The old has passed away, the new has come. Guess what your new nature is? Your new nature is that you're not alone. You've got an eternal family. And whether you like them or not, they're still family. Whether you know them or not, they're still family. You may not like me tomorrow, I'm still your brother. I may not like you, still my son. It doesn't matter. We're family because God has made us family. That they might all be one. Now, the fact that God has made us family, you'll see a little bit later, a little bit later that doesn't guarantee we act like family. But the basis, the only basis for a long-lasting unity is our new nature in Jesus Christ. That's our only basis. That's our only stability. And so God has this, this, this thing that's, 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 that we see eventually. Uh, this, uh, we took Joel back up to school and had a little family vacation, a little get-together with my sister and her family out of her place. And she got a place on uh, uh, Putin Bay, Lake Erie. And so she had just come back from Europe. She had gone with her church. Her church is a Presbyterian church, and they were re- retracing the steps of the Presbyterian church. And and they went to Scotland before they went to Geneva. And uh, so she went to our family castle in Scotland. We have a family castle. Um, there's, and I never knew about this um, until recently. But there's a lot of people in our family that do the genealogy thing and they trace it back and all that kind of stuff. And there's actually Hunterston 
castle in, in Scotland. Um, it's, it's Hunter, Hunter's Tune. And in, in like uh, the 12th century, our um, forefathers, Normans, were invited over by King David I of Scotland. And he gave them this little uh, this piece of land. Um, and we weren't royalty, but we, we performed a function for King David. Guess what that was? We were hunters. <laughs> if I'm going too fast for you here, don't let, you know, let me know. That's where, that's where our name came from, you know. And so we were out there to provide game for the king and, uh, and, and probably to defend him also if, you know, the rabbits ever got organized or whatever. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what there was to defend. But there's, there's, Hunters, you know, there's Hunterson's Castle. So she comes back with this video. And, and I'm watching this video. And there is the leader of our clan. We have a it's clan hunter. And we've got hunter plaid and all that kind of stuff. By the way, she, this, is, this leader is a woman, Pauline, very imposing woman. Uh, Hunter plaid does not do much for her. <laughs> um, but it's this very weird feeling. I'm, 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 I'm seeing this building I've never seen before. I'm looking at this person I've never seen before, never even heard of her, and that's my family. Very weird feeling. Now, come back from there and go to the worship committee. And, and in, in way of contrast, I have a whole new sense of family. We were talking about how much we missed each other. And I said, you know, I'm just not the same without you. And they were saying, we're just not the same without you. It's just one of those things. Yeah, we can go on and perform our functions. And, and we had great worship when I wasn't here. And, 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 and I went out and spoke. So, and then, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we were not. It's because God has made us one. This is family. This is the family I know will last forever. I don't know whether Pauline is, is saved or not. I hope she is. But, but that's, that's blood family. This is the blood family. This is the blood of Christ family. This is, and, and I want to tell you, I miss you like crazy. I can go speak all over, but it's not the same without you. Because you're a part of me. This church is a part of me. This, this crew is a part of me. And God has made us one and will continue to bring out. I said, I can't preach the same without you. And they said, we can't play the same without you. It's not, I know what Vernon's going to do for Vernon does it. And I love it. And it's kind of new to me every time because I'm so forgetful. But it's, oh yeah, that's Vernon, <laughs> you know? And, and the same with Tim and so on and so forth. So, so that's, that's how our family is. Now, the point to this though is that the wonderful unity he gives us together. And he gives us unity out of diversity. Because that reflects who he is. Read with me some more. Uh, look at verse 22 and 23. It says, verse 22, And the glory which thou hast given me, I have given to them. He's talking about his disciples here. I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one. Now that just as, the, the word is, is uh, kathos in, in Greek. And, and there's a sense in which it's not only the comparison See, we're the only people in the world, I keep telling you this, who worship a God who is both singular and plural at once. After 80 years of theological debate, they determined that God actually is triune. That he is one God, but he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there, even though there's one, there are three, different, there are three differences. And, and so we, that, we can't grasp that. But the point here is, that we're not together just because we're the same. We're together because we're different. We're together because there are discrepancies. 
And so he says, make them one just as we are one, not only comparing them to us, but causing them to be like us. Because this word is both compared to and caused from. That's beautiful because God does the work to bring us that unity. We don't do it ourselves. And so it says this, just as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that thou may be perfect, that they, I'm sorry, they may be perfected in unity. This is a present participle, and it calls for ongoing action. You know, the cool thing about this is, is we will grow into much more unity as we go along. In one sense, we're family, like it or not, know each other or not, ever speak to each other or not. When you get married, you are just as married five minutes after that ceremony as you are on your 50th anniversary. In one sense. In another sense, there's a lot of work to acting like you're married, to actually manifesting that unity. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're just as much in the kingdom as you will be when you go home to be with the Father. But in another sense, there is an ongoing perfecting and unifying with the rest of the body that will happen for the rest of your life. And so he says... Uh, um, that they may be perfected in, uni- in unity. Now again, here it is. Jesus can't let, can't pray for us without praying for them. Those that aren't part of us yet. That the world may know that thou didst send me. Our unity, and by the way, it's not just a spiritual unity. Well, Christians can stay away from one another because it's a spiritual unity. No, he's talking about the kind of unity the world can see. Do you think we have any power at all going to the world and talking about love when we can't get along with one another? Do you think they're going to listen to that a bit? No, of course not. And so therefore, that the world may know, that they can see that thou didst send me and didst love them even as thou didst love me. One of the most profound things John Calvin ever wrote was this. He said, Jesus was not one with the Father merely because of his divine essence, but also because of his mediator role from the Father. Now what that means is, Jesus was not God just because he was the same as God, but because he connected others with God. That's what we've got to be. If we're going to be like Jesus, that's what we're not together just because we have something in common. We're together because we care about bringing others in. And we're not going to be said, Jesus couldn't pray without saying, but what about them? We shouldn't be able to pray without saying, but what about them? You know, when I was coming back from, uh, <laughs> from uh, Putin Bay, we were trying to get back to Florida and, and, I, and I was on a road I'd never been on before. I was trying to find I-75 going south. and So I was on this, like, I don't know, it was like two or something. And it was a four-lane highway, so I thought eventually I'd run into it. Didn't have a map. Men don't need maps. <laughs> so it, it, it went from a four-lane to a two-lane. Then it went from a two-lane to like a detour. And I was out in the middle of nowhere. And of course, Beck's not saying anything. And, and you know, she's thinking it, but she's not saying anything. And, 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 and a lot of nice farmland, but I hadn't a clue where I was. So we came upon civilization. Civilization for me is any fast food restaurant. If, you, if, if there's a fast food restaurant, it's civilization. So we came upon an Arby's. 
And I, and I went into this, Becky and I went into this Arby's. It was time for lunch anyhow. And, and, uh, and so we ordered, uh, you know, number two and number eight or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and behind the counter was like this collection of valley girls. You, you could tell they had almost planned to get this job together. And it was all, <laughs> what? And I looked at one. I said, you know, I'm looking for I-75. You know where that is? <laughs> well, <laughs> there's like a blue sign down there, you know? <laughs> and she turned to her friend and said, I had the worst night last night. Well, I lost her. You know, that was that. So we went toward the blue sign. Well, it wasn't I-75. It was like 285, but we thought, well, maybe she meant that it leads to I-75. So we get on this thing, start going south and west, and we know that's the general direction of I-75. Well, we, we go for miles on this, on this highway. It's a big highway. Don't see I-75. I said, I got to call, I got to, you know, pull off and, and ask for more directions. So, so I pull into one of these. This is new in my experience. Truck stop mega malls. These things are huge. They used to have just little dirty old grimy truck stops. Now you go in and there's like gourmet shops and fishing gear. You know, it's just a kind of a macabre kind of thing. Well, I, I walk in this place. It's huge. And there's a, right inside the door, there's an employee there, Betty. Betty was her name. I had her Betty there. She's about 60 years old, about as broad as she is tall. Big. And, and she got a cigarette in one hand and five lotto tickets in the other. Betty's a party waiting to happen, boy. <laughs> you know? I looked at her name tag. I said, Betty, I need some help. She did this. Betty going to help you, baby. <laughs> I, said, I said, Betty, I'm looking for I-75. She, <laughs> she said, there's two ways to get to I-75. I said, Betty, if I was smart enough to remember two ways, I wouldn't be lost now, would I? <laughs> she did this. <laughs> ha, 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 ha. You right there, baby. <laughs> she said, now follow me, honey. <laughs> she said, I want you to get back on the road you want. What you going to do? I'm going to say, I'm going to get back on the road I was on. She said, that's good, honey. She said, now. <laughs> she said. I want you to go down to a dead end, and then I want you to turn, want you to turn right. What you going to do, darling? He said, I said, I'm going to go down the road until dead ends, then I'm going to turn right. She said, that's right, baby. So she went, <laughs> then she said, I want you to go 6.2 miles until you see a stoplight. Now, what you going to do, honey? I said, I'm going to go 6.2 miles until, you, until I see a stoplight. She said, that's right, sweetheart. She said, then I want you to turn left, and I-75 is right there. You're going to see I-75. What you going to see, honey? I said, I'm going to see I-75. She said, that's right. She said, and then she went down. <clears throat> now, don't you get lost, baby, because Betty doesn't want to come looking for you. <laughs> you know, I, I did just exactly what she said. It was right there, just exactly what she said. But I tell you, every time I pray, I think, oh God, I want Betty in heaven with us. <laughs> you know, if Betty's not there, we're gonna be missing something. <laughs> now, it's possible Betty's headed for heaven, but not a very good bet. <laughs> you know, if I were a betting man, I wouldn't take the best odds for that. And I doubt if Betty's really gonna stumble into a church on Sunday morning, unless somebody sent. I just, I have a world of Betty's on my heart. Jesus had a world of Betty's on my heart. Betty's are my people. 
That's where, that's where I came from. I, was, I came from Betty's. And I won't be satisfied until Betty's are there. And, and Jesus isn't going to be satisfied until Betty's are there. And that's what makes us like God. Not that we know much, not that we're holier than other people, but that we have a heart. Because that's what love is, caring for folks. And there's only one thing that really stands in our way, and it's religion itself. Isn't that ironic? Boy, the devil has done such a good trick on us. Such a good trick. Because as you get into the religious, you start to use religion as an excuse not to go to the unreligious. You start to use it as a, as, a, as a rationale just to get together and enjoy one another and learn more together without caring anymore. But Jesus couldn't do that. Listen to the rest of his prayer. Father, I desire that they also, whom thou hast given me, this is the past, they also be with me where I am in order that they may behold me in my glory. He's talking about the future. In this act of compassion, the past and the future meet. When he is sending out his disciples to gather in from, as we read, all of the earth into one fellowship, then that's when eternity is present here. It says, For that which thou hast given me, for thou didst love before the foundation, love me before the foundation of the world, O righteous Father. Although the world has not known thee, yet I have known thee. And these have known thee that thou didst send me, thou, that thou didst send me, and I have made known to them and will make known to them the love wherewith thou didst love me may be in them and I in them. What keeps us from going? I happen to think it's more than laziness. Laziness is just a dynamic. Laziness is always looking for an excuse. I think, I think we've got an excuse in the back of our heads. And I think it's a good sounding excuse, but it doesn't hold water when you love. Let me give you a story, and I'll sit down after this. When I was a young boy, um, lived in a town, and there was a poor section in our town. A lot of, a lot of towns had a kind of a poor section. Um, there was this one uh, row of houses over by West End Boulevard that, that they had a basketball court over there, but there were some Appalachian folks who lived over there. And, and, uh, and early one morning, I got up, and there wasn't anything to do, and I, I knew I wasn't really supposed to go over there, but I, I just went over looking to see if anybody's playing basketball. I just wanted to you know, join in a game of basketball. So I'm walking along these houses, and I don't remember, uh, I don't know how many of you remember the construction of, the cheap construction of houses way back when, when instead of using bricks, they, in the cheaper houses, they used tar paper that had brick print on it, kind of sparkled. And it wasn't brick, it was just tar paper, but that's what they used. And that's what this house, as I walked past this house, there was, there was not much grass, there were just some bushes, and it was kind of a dirty, filthy place. And I walked past this house, and I just looked, and I saw this little girl behind this bush. Matted hair, dirty little kid, no shoes. And I said, hey, come here. I just wanted somebody to talk to. She wouldn't come out. She was scared. 
Well, I happened to have some candy in my pocket. So I reached in for the candy. I said, you want some candy? Well, she just kind of inched out. And when she inched out, I saw bruises. I didn't know what they were because back then we didn't know about that kind of thing. But she came forward with her hands out. And I poured, full of, poured them full of M&Ms and she got those M&Ms and she took off again. When I went home, I asked my mom about it. She said, oh, Joey, I don't ever want you to go there again. And I said, why not? She said, because that is a very badly disturbed family. The grandfather is an alcoholic and abusive, and he had that child by his daughter. She is a child of incest. And, I, and, and so she said, I never want you to go there again. And my question was, why not? And she looked at me like I didn't understand. And so she said words that I don't blame her for because she was a product of her culture. My mother was of her world. But she said words that are straight from hell. They sound so religious. They sound like, like they really make sense. But she said these words because we don't want people to think we approve of that. Let me ask you something very seriously and don't answer too quickly. Do you have to approve of someone before you can love them? In many cases, the answer is yes. And that's what keeps us away from one another. And let me ask you this. Did God approve of us before he sent Christ? Of course not. God hurt for us, but he didn't approve of us. But the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you really have to approve of someone before you love them? Do you really have to agree with someone before you love them? You know, I hear Christians say the same thing toward one another. That we say for the world, oh, I don't want people to think we approve. I hear Christians saying, don't get involved with the Catholics. You know, Catholic with a capital C now, a, a Roman Catholic. Don't get involved with Catholics. Why not? Because we don't want the, 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 the people to think we approve all that. <laughs> Stop. Don't get involved. Don't be talking about doing stuff with the Baptists. Why not? Because we don't want people to think we approve all that <laughs> stuff. You know, we're grace. We're grace. Don't be so involved with the Presbyterians. Why not? Because we don't want people to think we approve all that And sure, don't be involved with the charismatics, <laughs> Pentecostals, Assemblies of God. Why not? Because we don't want people to think we approve all that <laughs> stuff. But we're family. 
There's one church, one faith, one baptism. Don't take my word for it. Ephesians 4, read it for yourself. And whether we ever agree or not, that's not the point. As a matter of fact, we're more valuable together because we don't agree. That, that is why God put us together. Because we are different. For those of you who are intellectual, let me tell you something. You don't have to sacrifice theological precision to achieve, watch this, big word, if I can remember it. I just drew a blank. (laughs) What was the word? Existential. Existential involvement. It doesn't depend on approval. It depends on what God has done. Now I want to call the worship team back out before I forget more words. I want you to listen to this last song. This is such a perfect song. And a lot of times we give visuals during the songs, but we're not going to do that now. I want you to kind of close your eyes and just listen to the words because there's a very probing question here. Very probing invitation. And I want you to hear it. You see, if we're to be sanctified in the way Jesus was, we need to be sent. And if we're ever to be the image of God, we need to be unified. Listen to this.